This is a great football and coach produced players and ground play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's the decision. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony, I have to be honest with you. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And fighting is there! Talk about a slow news weekend in football. A couple of drab FA Cup semi-finals. Sheffield United officially relegated. West Ham brought back down to earth. Gio Vagnoli leaves Dundalk. What's this? Andre Agnelli and a very select, very exclusive group of super-rich football clubs changing the very fabric of the football pyramid and the entire sport as we know it. Well then, way to bury that news, Dundalk. Hello and welcome to this week's Treat the Back podcast, where if we can hold one thing over our new Super League overlords, we at least managed to design a better logo on Microsoft Paint. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by Phil Green and Enda Higgins. How are you, lads? How are we doing? Evening, lads. Good to speak to you. Um, I mean, plenty to get through here this evening between the Super League um, and Jose Marino sacking. I mean, what a huge story that is in itself, and it's playing second fiddle to the to the Super League news. Um, I mean, barely a blip on the radar today in the grand scheme of things. Um, I mean, what a blockbuster 24 hours in football. Um, the news emerged Sunday of an imminent uh, Europe, European Super League announcement involving Liverpool, Man United, Juventus and a couple of other major clubs around Europe. Um, I mean, the backlash, needless to say, was, was pretty damning from the start, um, beginning with Gary Neville live on, on Sky Sports on their coverage and all through the evening then as everyone kind of waited for the... Um, the official press release to come out. Um, I think it was after 11 before it finally came out. Um, probably some last minute touches there before um, before they released it, given the uh, the Ferrari over it all. Um, in terms of the gory details, I mean, we're all pretty much up to speed by it. By now, it's 12 teams at the moment, which supposedly will rise to 15. Um, and I mean, those spaces probably earmarked for PSG, Munich and Dortmund, or maybe even Leipzig. Um, and they've all kind of washed their hands already of of of, of the whole idea. Um, there's going to be five extra qualification spaces to make it a league of twenty teams. Um, very little detail is known on, on on the criteria for those five teams. Um, I don't know. Maybe you just have to send over your balance sheet or something, and uh, and they'll pick through uh, whoever has the most debt. Um, that even seemed like a kind of a last. You know, second change given the the backlash yesterday. Um, so far, it's it's six teams from England. So we've we've Liverpool, United, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Spurs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Arsenal and Spurs alone, it just it's hilarious when you think about it. Um, three from Spain: Atletico, Barcelona, and Real Madrid, and then um, three from Italy: AC Milan, Inter, and Juve. Um, I mean, there, there, there's so much to hate about the whole notion of it—the, the greed, the exclusivity, the, 
the complete washing of, of, of history, really, all in the name of um, of, of money and, and trying to get a healthier balance sheet for um, for investors. I mean, where can you even start with it, Phil? Yeah, I know. It's, um, do you know what it, it reminded me of most readily uh, was the night that the Capitol in Washington was stormed uh, by, the, by the MAGA heads because it was this thing that kind of felt completely surreal. These, this thing just kept hitting in waves and waves and you felt like you were in live, in live form experiencing something that was going to have ramifications for a while. It felt like it, it was almost impossible for it to have happened. But then when you actually stopped and thought about it, it was the logical conclusion of a set of circumstances that have been unfolding for a long time. In the case of the capital, it was the kind of the swing towards the right by the Republican Party, and in the case of the, of the Super League, it's been the hyper capitalistic approach of football, at least since 1992. I mean, you can obviously stretch it back further than that, but at least since the advent of the Premier League in 1992, it's felt like surreal at times. It felt like you couldn't believe it was happening, but when you actually think about it this is the logical conclusion of where everything was going from the massive money the sky brought in to the Bosman ruling from players to the, uh, the, the way the doors were flung open to foreign investment and the foreign owners. Everything has kind of led to this point where there's a handful of clubs who feel like and quite likely are powerful enough to take on literally every other football club in the world and take what they want and basically say to UEFA, and every other football club, come and take it back off us if you think you can. Um, it's been mad. I, like You're trying to make sense of it, and you're trying to get your head around what it means, and is it likely to happen. And like you said, that like quite stunning lack of detail in that statement that came out at half 11 last night. Uh, I mean, like where did the five extra teams come from? Like you said about the three teams that, that bring it up to 15, I mean, you assume it's PSG, Bayern, and Dortmund, but two of those are very strongly against it, and the other one, unofficially seems very strongly against it even like me and Andrew were saying before we came on air the stated logo I mean all of it for something that is so serious and such a, a mutiny against the football in order it seems kind of a bit half cocked at the minute and um, so like that's kind of my overriding feeling it feels quite serious UEFA are talking about kicking out any of the six that are still in European competition they're talking about kicking them out as soon as Friday and um, like it all seems a bit mad and it seems serious, but there's just part of it that just feels still like a bit of a bluff or a bit of a joke that's gone too far. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm all over the place with it. it it's been a crazy 24 hours of just like the next tweet on your timeline has been more incredulous than the last one. You know, you're like, Oh, did you see what Saravan said today? And did you see what the Danish FA president is after saying about kicking out three of the four Champions League semi-finalists? It just it gets madder and madder. Yeah, I'm I, I am really at a bit of a loss. Like I've loads to say, and I've nothing to say. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, I think we're involved in a very poorly played hand of poker here at the moment when it comes to the uh, the Super League in terms of the timing, how rushed it feels. Um, and I don't think it's any coincidence that you know these were people who were you know up until last Friday you know, in discussions with Champions League reform with UEFA. So I feel like, you know, those involved, and none of these are likable individuals at the best of times, both in terms of their involvement and the debt that they've put on their clubs, their lack of actual football background, uh, especially when you're talking about United um, and Arsenal. 
um, FSG as well. So it's <laughs> it's quite surreal. I'm, I'm a bit like Phil. I've I've loads to say and nothing to say because you you almost can't get the words out half the time. Um, and even the lack of understanding amongst the fans about what this thing actually is. Ultimately, it's it's they they want more money from a European competition, um, and that they've come up with a format that gives them that that guarantees them basically a secure three to four hundred million a year, something you don't have to seem seemingly qualify for. Uh, and something that you don't seemingly have to be even successful in once you're in it as well. Um, but it almost it almost feels a bit pointless to me, really, because like, what are these people going to do? What are the Gladers going to do with another three or four hundred million euro? They're not going to pay off their debt at United. They're probably not going to sign Kylian Mbappe in the morning. They're certainly not going to improve the Wi-Fi at Old Trafford, um, which is the worst in the country. Uh, the stadium is falling apart. These people don't care. So. Um, it's it's just bizarre, um, and I think they've overplayed their hand in terms of you know even the lack of involvement throughout the clubs. In terms of you have social media managers last night trying to hide statements on their websites. United and City didn't tweet out anything yet. Barcelona were a bit sheepish this morning. Spurs as well. It it's not as if they're you know boasting about being. Uh, part of this thing it's all a bit cheapish they're well aware of the negative reaction and connotations that are attached to this um and somehow psg um are looking like the good guys which <laughs> is bizarre in itself considering you know what we discussed on on the podcast the last few weeks with them you know um but i suppose it, it shouldn't be that surprising i mean we had We've had various different proposals down the years on this, and one, one of our first podcasts of the season, it might have been the first one, I think we covered it in detail, and we felt it was a long way away, but not impossible, and just seems to have sped up, mainly due to COVID as well. I think these clubs really want to want to fix their balance sheets very quickly. They're already heavily in debt. Um, you know, forget about the English clubs for a minute, but I mean, if you look at Barcelona... Um, you know, they had to they had to, had to take out a three month loan, or they had to take out a loan they had to repay back in three months to get Antoine Griezmann for a hundred billion euro. I mean, God only knows what the real figures are like behind the scenes in these clubs to, to comprehend getting involved in this thing, knowing that the reaction uh, and the kickback that it would have from the fans. Um, but it does still feel like a very bad bluff at the moment, mainly because of the lack of detail, the lack of obviously marketing mm. and PR and design that has gone into that logo. Um, which yeah, I know it's only just a logo, but just it represents the whole kind of chaos of the last twenty four hours. That you know they haven't even got that right yet. Um, and then the terms seem outrageous. It's a twenty three year contract or something like that. I mean, yeah. Like if you were to pick the best teams in Europe from twenty three years ago, I don't think <laughs> Spurs wouldn't be there. Anyways, that's for sure. I mean, Atletico Madrid were, you know. They're big names, but again, I mean, these things go in cycles. I mean, Villa and Forest have more European Cups than some of these teams, you know? Mm. Um, so the whole thing just, on the face of it, just looks completely shambolic. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out uh, throughout the week. The only thing I would say, um, we were talking about it earlier, Phil, and we probably need to cover it in more detail later, but the new Champions League proposals are just as woefully bad as anything that's being proposed in this European Super League. I mean, the Champions League basically wants it to make it impossible for big clubs not to qualify by saying, well, if you're an elite club, you'll get in the next few years, you'll play 100 games in Europe a season, you'll get enough money from that. So whatever happens, I think European football is going to be in a pretty bad state in, in two or three years' time. Just taking a quick look at the statement, the... Um 
the highly anticipated statement from last night, um, hanging on till till all hours in the evening, like um, like the latest FAI news there huh. um, uh, of, of a Sunday night. Um, I, some of the quotes were outrageous, really. Um, before we even get to the website itself, um, which looks fairly amateur, and the overall kind of branding looks looks so below what you would imagine a multi-billion-dollar kind of competition and and business is hoping to achieve. Um, just looking at the quotes, I mean, um, Perez said, you know, or uh, I think this was actually um, one of the Glazers, um, and you might be able to fill me on which is which at this stage. But um, <laughs> the, he, the bald, um, greedy one is a, is a Glazer. So. <laughs> <laughs> it says, by bringing together the world's greatest club clubs and players to play each other throughout the season, the Super League will open a new chapter for European football, ensuring world-class competition and facilities and increased financial support for the wider football pyramid. I mean, there's no um, detail whatsoever in how this supposed increased financial support for the football pyramid will look like you basically have or you would have 12 to 20 teams do they do they want to go all the way down the leagues in each country do is it going to go to the premier divisions and say the top four or five leagues um i mean swiss ramble on twitter if anyone is kind of wondering why why spurs and 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 arsenal are in this conversation swiss ramble tweeted um here's a clue as to why 12 clubs have signed up they lost a combined 1.2 billion pounds in in 2019-20 before player sales um and that was for a season where only the end of it really was impacted by covid um i mean 12 clubs have 5.6 billion of debt of which tottenham hotspur are the highest um with 970 million in in, in gross financial debt uh over the last year um so like these these teams are absolutely teeming with debt there's no there's no footballing implication for their involvement other than being one of the you know one of the boys one of the the group um of these kind of financial handshakes really where you've any reason otherwise to to include likes of tottenham um or arsenal who i mean on the field they're barely a europa league team at the moment um I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, Andrea Agnelli, our 12 founder clubs represent billions of fans across the globe and 99 European trophies. Um, I mean, Spurs and Arsenal aren't really contributing much to to, to that last huh. number there. Um, but that's that, that's one of the quotes that stung with me as well, um, referring to the, to the 99 European trophies. I mean, it's nice to appreciate what these clubs have done on one hand, but... On the other hand, you're you're attempting to wipe out that history um, by starting a new competition where these clubs um, will essentially have absolutely zero involvement in in what we do know as the the Champions League anymore. Yeah, well, they're, they're, like they're, if they want to talk about the ninety nine uh, European trophies to like <laughs> to badly misquote Brian Clough, they can take all of those medals and all of those trophies and put them in the bin uh, because what they're doing is they're hollowing out that competition like you said like by doing this they are going to completely hollow out the champions league the european cup history goes back to the mid 50s um and they're like they that competition will not exist in any sort of meaningful form from now on i mean you talk about the six teams in england we'll take those as a good example you're talking about west ham leicester everton 
being the the Champions League teams going forth, and you're going to be missing out on the the teams that have made the, the tournament what it is, and they're happy to do it in the pursuit of more money. I mean, like you say that they're rightly that the uh, in football in terms, particularly right now, Arsenal probably and AC Milan arguably probably have the two weakest cases right now in football in terms. That was the case for Liverpool seven or eight years ago. By the way, they've been one of the best teams in the world for the last three years, but um, they definitely weren't that under Roy Hodgson, Kenny Dalglish. But um, you look at the Deloitte Money League, which I think is the league table that these guys really care about, and of the twelve founders, eleven are in the top fifteen of that Money League. Milan are the only one outside the top fifteen; they're thirtieth, and the, the Super Twelve are also eight of the top ten. So it's it's the deaths of these big teams, but it's the teams with the most money. That's all it is. So if Arsenal were less uh, were, were less wealthy than West Ham or Everton, that's who would be in their place. It's Spurs, I think, are eighth or ninth. It's it's a it's a complete mathematical equation of the richest clubs. It's nothing to do with any sort of fo- like any football inheritance that they have is almost incidental. Like you said, Orby Leipzig could be invited, especially if they are softer on their stance than some of the other German teams. It's a mathematical equation. Um, it's about producing content that'll be bought by broadcasters to help the guys make up the shortfall from the last year and to get out ahead of the game before the bottom really falls out of the, the broadcast deals for the domestic TV uh, product, which is starting to happen in Germany, in France, obviously, most readily. Italy had to redo their deal or redo their auction because they didn't get the bids that they were looking for. This is a kind of a preemptive strike to make sure that these already ridiculously rich, already ridiculously kowtowed to teams who are responsible for that terrible Champions League output that Endo was talking about earlier. It's because of them that this exists. And that's still not enough for them. It's like the exact opposite of, you know, that meme that was going around, I was 18 months going out, a big dick energy thing. This is like the best example of small dick energy I've ever seen. You've got like the like everything <laughs> tilted your your way completely, and it's still not enough. You want to actually formalize in the rules that you're never going to not qualify for this thing. Like all practicalities basically mean that people like Man City, Manchester United, Barcelona, Real are going to qualify year in year out at worst for Europa League, but four years out of five in the case of United, say, into the Champions League. But like the insecurity and the fear of missing out on that money means they actually have to write it into the rules that they won't get kicked out. Uh, it's, it's just, like that bit's just staggering to me. Yeah, it's, but it's funny on the other side, kind of looking at those who are outrageous the most. And again, myself and Phil almost did a podcast between us before we even started trying to figure <laughs> this thing out. And one of the things we were discussing is, you know, the outrage on Sky Sports and it's, you know, uh, talking about memes, it's like that SpongeBob one where he's, you know, wanted maniac, and it's a picture of himself behind himself. You know, it's uh, once you have Gary Neville, who has been in bed with Peter Lim for about a decade, who owns Salford, who gets paid from Sky Sports, who worked two jobs as an English coach and on Sky Sports, and got the Valencia job because of his connections, being as outraged as he is. Um, you kind of have to wonder, like, a bit of self-reflection is perhaps required, particularly from. Uh, UEFA and FIFA as well, you know, saying all these things that they're going to do today about banning players from representing their countries, kicking them out of European competition. But that's what has fed into this 
capitalist football culture that we're now living, you know, um, and they've all played their part and they've all gotten a big piece of the pie. And that's really what's frustrating these clubs, uh, rightly or wrongly, they feel that they've, they're not actually getting enough money out of what, what else is out there. Um, and they've somehow negotiated this deal with JP Morgan. I mean, again, we've not even talked about, I'm sure there'll be rights about Amazon wanting to stream these matches because it's not going to be on terrestrial TV. So again, that's the type of detail you would have hoped would come out of the wash, but um, not to be yet. But um, as I said earlier, something we have been building up to something in football. Um, and if we weren't discussing the, the Super League this evening, we probably would be discussing the, the new Champions League reform, which, as I said earlier, is just as bad. So um, whatever happens from here, we're pretty pretty screwed when it comes to European football, unless everybody just takes a step back, which doesn't seem likely, um, uh, considering how much testosterone fuels huh. small dick energy there is in that room <laughs> at the moment. Um, you know, I mean, Woodward, Kronka, FSG, Perez... Um, that's before you get into the Italian guys who are their own level of corruption. I mean, this is parasites. You know, you couldn't, if you were to put them on a, on a desert island, I mean, you'd just kill yourself, really, rather than actually spend time with them, you know. Um, these are people who have no actual interest in future-proofing the game. They don't care about the football pyramid. None of that. They don't even put the money they make back into their clubs, never mind feeding it down to the football pyramid, as one of the Glazers said earlier. I mean, no chance. We've seen... During COVID, they had the opportunity to do that and it wasn't taken, you know. Um, but yeah, football has to look at itself now and think it's it's been out of hand for a very long time and, you know, none more responsible than the club I support, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But um, we, we have a moment uh, and it'll be interesting to see, looking back in 10 or 15 years' time, um, just how, how the greater football world reacted in terms of trying to fix the problems that this could potentially present i think that's a great point and like it's like this didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen just off the back of 12 greedy owners they're absolutely the driving force and they're the people who should be blamed but there's a whole range of complicity in it is that the right word everyone there's a lot of people complicit in it is what i'm trying to say and um one thing i haven't loved is and like I know, listen, he's not exactly the most level-headed person to to read about. But Danny Baker uh, was on Twitter last night going for the fans of of the clubs. And listen, I get that there's absolutely more that every fan could have done in terms of when people like the Glazers and FSG who have both been protested. But there more fans could have done when these owners turned up to the club or whatever. But it kind of reminds me of that line during the crash in this country in t- 2008 the line that everyone partied, that almost like everyone was complicit um, to like a significant degree. And it, listen, it, the people who are complicit are the owners who are driving it. Um, and there's varying degrees of complicity for, for UEFA and the broadcasters and the agents and whoever else. But the people who should least of all have to carry the burden of this are the fans. They're, the fans are the people who, like, they... they buy into this out of like a loyalty and a passion and a love it's not any attempt like it costs fans money to be to support their teams not doesn't earn them anything um and it would kind of annoy me a little bit that there was this idea that we're all a little to blame 
I mean, maybe to a small degree, but like, don't let those fuckers off the hook. Like Enda said, they're fucking parasites. Like it's it's they're running it like corporations. It's it's the logical conclusion of market forces, and we shouldn't be talking about that in football. And um, Jay McKenna, he's a former chair of Spirit of Shankly supporters group, who had been involved heavily in the protests against Hicks and Gillette, the previous Liverpool um, American owners. He's a trade unionist, and so he, like naturally enough, he's very into the collective action and all that sort of stuff. But he made a very good point on his social today. He said there are more limitations and conditions on the changes you can make when you buy a listed building than when you buy a football club. Your like buildings are more protected if they're listed than football clubs are. So the Glazers, FSG, Sheikh Mansour, they're able to make whatever changes they want when they buy these clubs. You pass the fit and proper persons test, and other than a pretty flaky FFP, you're kind of away to the races. You can do this sort of thing that they're doing right now. Whereas if you buy a listed building, you know you can't move that window, you can't take out those doors. Um, there's been a failure by UEFA, by governments, by sporting bodies to regulate football for 20, 30, 40 years because of the money that there was to be made. That sounds an awful lot like me, awful lot to me, like what happened in the global financial market. A failure of regulation in favour of greed. And you can see that with a lot of the clubs that have kind of gone to the wall in the English pyramid in particular over the past couple of years. Um, I mean, we've had fans from Barry on the podcast in the past who've club has have basically ceased to exist um with no effort to kind of support those from from the powers that be and closer to the home you have the annual kind of question marks over a lot of league of ireland clubs whether they'll be able to continue um as an entity as the season go by um dan roan from the bbc reported yesterday that um according to a, a source of his some of those involved in the super league called traditional supporters of clubs legacy fans um, while they are focused instead of the f- the fans of the future who want superstar names. Um, now, we, we, we've spoken about this before, and this is something um, we wrote about in the newsletter recently, where, like, there is a huge market that this Super League is trying to tap into, and it's not a market that we necessarily see on Twitter who are kind of damning this whole idea. It's not a market of people that are going to sit down um, of a Monday evening and watch Monday night football. I mean, it's very much a kind of a, a new generation of fans for the digital age where, as, as I like to say, like they've, they've grown up playing FIFA Ultimate Teams. So like they're used to having Barcelona versus Bayern Munich every night of the week, as far as they're concerned. Um, they're used to seeing Mbappe and Haaland and whoever else all in the one jersey. Um, like this, I, I'll be surprised if this ever makes terrestrial TV as we know it. Like it's not going to yeah. be on, on RTE with George Hamilton. It, it's <laughs> it's very much going to be, it, whether it's Amazon or the Zone or, um, I think Google and even Facebook and and you know social media sites have been listed. Like it could be on TikTok for all we know. Um, that's the way it's going. Like this, this league isn't aimed at us. Like it's not aimed at, you know, the guys we follow on Twitter who are all kind of coming out and, um, you know, just putting down the whole idea. And it's certainly not aimed at people who not only buy, um, say a Sky subscription or a BT subscription, but it's not aimed at guys who go to games every week. Like it's not guy, it's a lot of these people likely never have been to a, you know, a major game in their lives. Um, and, 
there's millions of these all over the world. And this is where they're, they're quote, you know, the 12 founder clubs represent billions of fans. In essence, they kind of do because, you know, if you're a fan, I don't know, in, in America or India or Pakistan or wherever, and you're playing FIFA and you're, you know, you're playing as Bayern Munich or PSG, like you're not going to care about Liverpool versus Burnley or Manchester United versus Crystal Palace um, of a Saturday afternoon. And I think that's, that's what they see and that's what they eventually want to tap into as, as the years go on. And it, it always felt a little bit inevitable, inevitable um, but I don't, don't think anyone kind of expected it to be fast forwarded like it has been this weekend. I think it's also worth drawing on just for a second the impact on uh, Irish football to kind of bring it into, into context for our, our local game. It's obviously not going to, like the clothes shop isn't going to impact on Dundalk or Rovers ever reaching that level that, that no. has already basically been closed off for them. But what the current Champions League model does is it allows UEFA to trickle down that money to local federations and leagues like ours. And it's actually because of the situation that we've been put in by John Delaney's mismanagement, that sort of money is fundamental to to keeping football in this country going. And that money will not be there anymore if the Champions League is going to be this kind of husk like you know like in men in black when the aliens gonna take over a person's body that the champions league is a husk now um and so not only are these guys kind of cocooning themselves away from the people who are one or two or three rungs below them they're also taking food off the table of the very lowest tier of football of professional football at least I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how it impacts on grassroots football, but it's taken, it's taken food off the table of leagues like Ireland and Scotland and Iceland, and that kind of lower tier of domestic football. And um, but I mean, that wasn't, that wouldn't even, and like they talk about these solidarity payments, there's no detail on those, other than it's going to be ten billion across the the lifetime of the twenty three years, and um, that's going to be making up a shortfall that's going to come from less domestic TV money for people like the Premier League and La Liga because the bigger teams are not going to be as invested in the league as they were if they're even going to be playing in them. But who knows how much that money makes its way down to um, to leagues like Ireland. So it's not just that they're taking away the kind of sanctity of the competitions that most of the world loves. They're also taking away the sanctity of the competitions that matter to fewer people but matter just as much to those fewer people which, you know, is something I doubt they even thought about for a second. Yeah, and also just to go back to your point, Kevin, um, that, you know, the sources and the statements are focused more on these fans of the future. I mean, I don't know who these fans are, really, to be honest. I mean, we've seen, you know, a decade-long money fuel league in China now starting to fail. Sooning group have already pulled out. Um, other teams have gone into administration. Players aren't getting paid their wages anymore. There's no market for it there. Stadiums are 10% full. And then if you're trying to target America, yes, I mean, the odd preseason friendly between United and Liverpool gets 80,000 fl- fans in Miami or something like that. But those people aren't going to watch, you know, games at four o'clock on a Wednesday if, if they're being played in Europe, you know. Um, and then in Pakistan and Asia in general, I mean, time zones aren't really suitable for that unless they're actually traveling over there for the game. So if you're trying to target fans of the future through TikTok or Facebook or through streaming, I mean, 
no more than ourselves like they all move on to <laughs> to the next big thing that comes along in three to five years time and then these these teams are potentially stuck into this 23 year contract i mean who yeah who knows what type of players clubs fans they'll have in 23 years time so it just seems so short-sighted and naive that you know the supporters who've i'm not saying they've funded the club but they're the ones you're going to still get the most money out of you know they got the family traveling over from Dublin are going to spend two or 300 euro in the mega store. They're going to spend hundreds of euros on tickets. Um, or you're trying to target people in America who stream the game for free anyways. And then you've got, you know, a slush puppy sponsor in the middle of the fucking ad or something. I just, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. The whole logic behind it, that kind of, you know, I can vaguely understand why they're trying to create their own super league, but then this trying to, almost remove the fans, these legacy fans that they're called, which are basically mm. the fans. I, I just don't understand that part of it at all. And it just kind of adds salt into an already deep, <laughs> gushing wound. Um, and um, I really don't know what their aim is here from that regard. It could be a little hint into into why European was taken out of the name. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Whether they either see fixtures being hosted in different countries around the world or maybe, I don't know, teams from America or South America or Asia joining in on, on the actor as one of the, the five invitees into into the competition. Um, yeah. Phil? Just, just to finish that, we've on. already had, the, you know, the Super Cups in France and in uh, Italy right. played in Qatar, I think. So, I mean, perhaps, again, we talked about earlier, you know, seeing the writing on the wall, I suppose that was something that probably should have caused a bit more panic at the yeah. time. The Coppa Italia final as well was played, I think, a few years ago in Qatar. So, um, yeah, the fact that European was removed is a very valid point, actually. And obviously, travel is on the cards for these clubs if they buy into this, which won't be fun for any of them, really, considering how badly they travel around Europe and try and play a league game in three or four days' time. Phil, it's easy to forget that um, we have a game on tonight and... <laughs> We're recording here in the middle of um, Monday Night Football and I don't have any Carragher or Neville quotes in front of me, but neither of them look too happy on the on the screen and I think it was probably more of the same of what we saw from Neville um, on Super Sunday um, during that broadcast. But Klopp's come out with a, a couple of comments and maybe it wasn't as damning as maybe would a lot of people would have hoped, but he did say that um, his opinion hasn't changed. Um, I think it was around 2018 or 19 that... Um, he initially spoke about it and he was fairly against the idea. He said, I have no issues with the Champions League. I like the competitive factor. I like the fact that West Ham might play in the Champions League next year. I don't want them to because we want to, but I like that they have the chance. Um, so he's he's obviously against the idea. And you'd imagine a lot of the players won't have taken too kindly to this idea, especially kind of being, being sprung on them at the last minute. Um, and I especially kind of feel sorry for for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yesterday when he was um, questioned about it after the game um, just as the news was breaking. But do you think do you think this player and manager response, if it is at all negative, would have any kind of implication on this going ahead? Um, it certainly feels like these this group of, of, of owners um, and executives are kind of plowing ahead no matter what um, with their head down and trying to uh, block out all the noise. But... I mean, if you don't have the managers and players on board, it's going to make it very, very difficult, especially if um, if international football is, is will be taken off the table for a, for a lot of these guys. I mean, 
you you could argue that you know a couple of extra million in the bank will will pay for that. But I mean, if if you're a football player who's grown up dreaming of playing for his country, you'd, you'd like to think that is they hold it in more stead than than this this Super League. Yeah, I think we're about to see a real moment of of kind of decision for the players between, like you said, the kind of extra money that this is going to guarantee them and it will guarantee them extra money or the idea of playing for, and this might sound overly romantic, but the love of something. Like you've already seen players like Herrera kind of come out and um, Bruno Fernandes, I think I kind of stuff on Instagram stories. Ozil. He was, he was, Ozil came out as well, yeah. Um, I think there is probably a danger for these executives who in the first instance aren't all that plugged into football but a, a, a good portion of them have a good knowledge of American sport and they should be very aware that this is a more socially aware generation of athletes than we've had in a good number of years and that there might be something in them that is a bit more than just that will be sated by extra zeros on their paycheck if you know what I mean there might be a little bit more to them a bit more substance um like you see in in the, in the states and it's it's obviously something bigger than the sport but things like the, the, the like racial injustice and the response of people like LeBron James the Milwaukee Bucks didn't play a playoff game last year in kind of protest i don't think it's a massive stretch to see some sort of pushback from players the problem is i guess that their leverage is they're going to have to sit as opposed to go elsewhere because basically all their options other than PSG, Dortmund and Bayern are in this Super League. It's the same for managers. Um, you you have to be prepared to take a principal stance and sit and not play rather than leave and go elsewhere. It uh, doesn't matter if it's going to be for less money. They, there's basically only three clubs that can afford most of the squads now in that Super League. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of, of a problem there, but I do think that it is in the players that the leverage is. I don't think UEFA are going to be able to really do much unless they're putting the pressure on the prevention of them playing in international tournaments. But I think it's going to be in the in the hands of the talent uh, that this might get stopped. As much as as fans like to think they have a power, and there absolutely is a power in collective action, really what will talk is if the, pro- if the product suffers, and I hate to call it that, but it's, the sort of terms that these that these executives are going to be thinking in. So if, and I was going to use Mbappe, but he's not actually in the league. So if Kevin De Bruyne or if Messi said like, listen, I'm not playing in this league, I think that's the only way things could turn around. But I mean, you might be, you might be playing an uphill battle there. Um, it, like, it, it's hard to know. I think it's the only way that, it, that things can get derailed or it's the most, significant way that things can get derailed um, but you are asking a lot of players um, you're asking a lot of them to um, to do that Yeah, it's probably one of the few occasions I feel a tiny bit sorry for millionaire footballers in the sense <laughs> of um, you know, they've they've had absolutely no say in this and already they're expected to basically lead the stand against it which, you know um, as we've seen on on racial equality and club ownership and wages and debt, isn't their forte really? Um, so, but again, I, I agree one hundred percent with Phil. If collectively they said tomorrow, well, we won't play in this league, we we mightn't play again for the rest of the season. If you agree to this, again, that's just a very dramatic, random example. But again, it it's probably the only thing that would make the owners think, yeah, well, perhaps this is a problem because. We know that fan protest doesn't stop these people. 
we know that you know they're intentionally trying to stick the boot into UEFA and FIFA and I mean even if they do take uh, these footballers out of international football the clubs would actually be happy about that their assets are being even more protected if they're not traveling abroad to play international football so I don't see that threat obviously that threat would potentially scare the players but um, again it, it doesn't really scare the guys who have who've put this together um, so you really are looking at the players to to take a stand here which which again it isn't really fair on them they haven't signed up for this they haven't agreed to this they all yeah seem very happy and playing for the champions league certainly if you if you look at you know the competitiveness of teams chasing top four it's a huge priority um you know um and and it leads to a great product already in domestic football Uh, and again like phil i hate using that word to describe it but i mean if we didn't have and that's kind of gone missed as well if we don't have that competitiveness for top four top six to get a european finish i mean these the quality of league games will just fall off a cliff um, and we'll just be watching absolute rubbish week in, week out and then waiting for this Super League to come midweek um, and then have to stay up until four o'clock in the morning to watch <laughs> a match in Hyderabad or <laughs> wherever, you know. So it, um, <laughs> there's, uh, it doesn't have a lot going for it. Um, and there's probably a hundred different things we've missed as well. Um, that'll come out in the wash later on when they do actually have to publish some sort of proposal but um, yeah, at the moment they're really, you know, as we've touched on pretty much in the last forty minutes, there's not a lot to, there's not a lot to get excited about in any of this. No. One thing that might drive the players, and it, it's kind of contrary to my point about them being kind of uh, exercised by their morals, but there was kind of an interesting suggestion that, as well as guarantee and profitability for these clubs, which is going to be some sort of spending limits on wages, and if players are seeing the profits of this league go up and up and up, but there being a cap put on what they can expect to earn from that, that might actually exercise them more than anything else. And it's definitely something that you see is very common in the NBA as much Mm. as the owner and the NFL, as much as the owners love being able to put a cap on how much they have to, of their money they have to spend. The collective bargaining agreement and the power of the players union there is very significant. And they do sit out if the, if the price isn't right for them. So for as much as they might want to cap to make sure that they can't lose too much money, you're then saying to players, listen, you're generating this for us, but we're only going to let you have a certain amount of it. And that might actually be the thing that springs them into action. So while I don't necessarily want players to be exercised by um, by money alone, um, as the labor, as opposed to calling them the product or the talent, as the labor, mm. Um, there might be some sort of collective action and unionization there in a way that doesn't exist at the minute because of a lack of a cap on their their earnings. I mean, it was reported today that um, Florentino Perez is kind of the the ringleader in all of this and obviously being in charge of Real Madrid, who are essentially part of a two or three kind of cartel over in Spain in, in the Spanish league. Um, and he's kind of got on to John Henry and Kronka and the Glazers who are coming from a US sport background and just following on from your point there and the, or Phil rather, um, I mean, these guys are coming from a sport where it's basically a closed shop. There's 32 teams in the NFL and there's 32 teams in the NBA. There is salary caps, um, which tend to go up each year. This year, I think the NFL salary cap has actually gone down and the players are in a position where they have to beg and beg and beg for the best deal possible. And it's usually celebrated as a huge success if, you know, 
a player of a certain position gets above, say, his market value, and just because it's so rare, um, and they've they've tied the salary cap down so much over decades, um, and I think there was there was protests and sit-outs in in the eighties and nineties in in various sports trying to bargain for better deals. Um, like if, if football goes down this way, it will be very very difficult for the players to come out of it. Um, better than that they are at the moment. Um, you know, like if you gave even more power to like Raiola, um, or Jorge Mendes, and you know, having to cap what these players are earning, force them into a super league, and then potentially you know cut ties with FIFA and UEFA and whoever else, and not be able to play uh, with your country. Um, you know, it's something that they could easily look back on um, as a huge mistake. Um, in terms of it actually going ahead, I mean, I'm still very, very skeptical that it'll go ahead. Um, mm. I know, I know Woodward, um, and, you know, and these clubs moving out of the ECA um, kind of seems like a huge, uh, a huge threat. But I don't think there's many clubs in the ECA um, to begin with, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but they all seem to be ploughing ahead. I, I be, I'm still hugely skeptical of the whole thing. It still, t- to me, seems like a little bit of a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Um, but the big thing for me today um, was seeing the backlash from clubs themselves. And I mean, if it gets to a stage where these 12 clubs move off um, into their own little bubble and have to kind of parentally play each other um, week in, week out, I mean, that's not going to be sustainable at all. Um, so I think we're, we're kind of having to rely on on other clubs, you know, the likes of Bayern Munich um, and PSG, we're suddenly the the goodies all of a sudden to uh, to hold up football football morality um for, for for the whole world and we'll all be a we'll all be aboard the Qatar train if, if they manage to do so um but like they, I don't know if if uh, where ye side on on this being a huge likelihood but I I'm, I'm very I'm very very skeptical and I, I'm very um, down on it actually going ahead this year, if if at all this year. Well, I can tell you now that if Woodward is in charge of the negotiations, we have absolutely <laughs> nothing to worry about. <laughs> uh, these 15 or 12 clubs will be offered uh, a bag of chips and <laughs> and, and Philip Jones contract, basically. Pillow. <laughs> um, so Pillow sponsor. Exactly, exactly. Bit of Diablo wine thrown in a, in a gift basket there. But... Um, <laughs> I suppose what's interesting about today is already the dick waving amongst the 12 clubs has begun because mm. in England it's like, well, this is fully Woodward driven. Uh, the Italians are trying to claim it's all their idea. Now you have Perez saying, well, actually, I was the lead driver of this. And then, of course, the Americans are saying, well, it's JP Morgan. This is a, an American model. Of course, this is all our idea. So that was the first 12 hours of this thing. So, I mean, if that's anything to go by, um, you know, these guys are, are agreeing to all this money. But apart from that, I don't think they're going to agree on a lot else between each other, um, which is something that's yeah. been slightly overlooked as well, considering, you know, that's who they're hopping into bed with in terms of a, a business relationship, which is what this mm. is. Um, um, and then who governs this thing? It's not FIFA. It's yeah. not UEFA. So, I mean, like, there's a million things we've overlooked here um, just because there's no detail on it yet. Um, uh, you know, I mean, UEFA, I mean, even down to the 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 referees and linesmen who who all have i assume kind of contracts or they're in these pools that are are pro, mm. or that are approved by uefa 
So, I mean, there's a million different things that haven't even been looked at or discussed and that, that it feels like they haven't even looked at or discussed yet. Um, is VAR involved? I mean, who, you know, do they all need to get JP Morgan on their jerseys if, if they're if they're the guys putting up the money for this? Um, you know, so um, that's probably why I'm still leaning towards this just being an outrageously big power play just to get a bit more yeah. of the, the European pot that's there, which... If that was the only argument that they had, it's fair enough. Because when you look at the money generated by the Champions League in particular and by uh, UEFA, the clubs probably don't get a big enough share. Um, so if that's their only gripe, then it's reasonably fair, even though they'd piss the money away anyways, even if they did get more of it. Hmm. Um, but um, it's an extremely, extremely risky way to go about it in terms of uh, the relationship with the fans, in terms of the potential pressure they're putting the players under um now now club v country is coming into it as well so um i it still feels like a bluff just how quickly the thing has moved on how quickly the timing is and then one of the sources said today well woodward wants to get this thing up as soon as possible which again feels like you know there's no timeline there's no plan there's no schedule nothing's in the calendar and they're still trying to say yeah we're going ahead with this thing it basically just feels like jp morgan gave them the thumbs up and they decided on the spot Let's advertise the hell out of this thing and see see how it goes. They didn't even buy the Twitter handle off the person who has it. Their Twitter handle is like ESL comms or something. Like it's like bootleg as fuck. They didn't even buy the Twitter the handle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like it it's absolutely like it's it's ubiquitous, isn't it? ESL comms is like absolutely where I'll be going for all my football content needs on Twitter. <laughs> they didn't even buy like at Super League or at European Super League or whatever. They didn't even buy the right handle off whatever very shrewd person, may I add, <laughs> who got their spoke in there first. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're not going to be bothered making them some sort of offer to get the proper, like, nothing about this, like we've been saying, screams professional, ready to go. Like, you look at how, and like, if, you're, if we're going to talk about it as a product, which we are on record as hating, you look at how slick of a product the Champions League is from everything to pit side signage to interview backdrops to the branding on sleeves to the referees to everything the production of everything to do with these games are you really telling me they're going to be a position by august ready to go and do it sponsor signed on signs made up proper branding relaunched like you've only got one chance to make a first impression and the first impression that these lads have made is that they've kind of rushed in half cocked and the theme song would probably be born in the USA or something. Oh, God, <laughs> you, know? you know, I mean, the Champions League team song. I mean, that's the best part of being in it, really. If you're not winning it, you know, at least you get, at least you get to hear that six times uh, a year, you know. Um, and uh, again, it sounds funny the fact that they didn't have the Twitter handle ready. But I mean, if this is going to be platform, social media, technology driven, exactly, it's not exactly. Uh, mind. It's not exactly a, a strong start. Um, so uh, while. Well, in one term, it's funny and shows how underprepared they are and the lack of thought that has gone into this. It, it also shows that, you know, from a, a marketing PR and kind of future-proof standpoint, they're, they're not really at the races at the moment. So to think that these guys want to want everybody to buy into something for the next 23 years, they're, um, uh, they're making a bit of a balls of it early on. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's it's, you know... It, it it does feel very Woodward, to be honest. I mean, you know, just <laughs> like, I mean, if you watch his quarterly updates and the slides and the bollocks he comes out with in, in on in these investor calls, I mean, 
like I mean you wouldn't put him in charge of your goldfish you know I mean he this is one of the most incompetent guys in football and yeah. and, and having him involved even if he was only serving the tea for 23 years <laughs> would worry me and, and the and the funniest part is all these clubs know how bad he is because they he's tried to sign their players and failed <laughs> and now they've gone into bed with him like it's just uh it's just that that's the part that really makes me laugh you know what I mean you don't know what you're getting into having this guy as part of your business relationship I mean it's it's doomed to fail it's absolutely doomed to fail don't uh, um, sorry keep on Go ahead, no, sorry. No, I, I don't want to labour the point on PSG too much, but just them as kind of the like arbiters of, of good now. Um, Adam Crafton had a really good piece on The Athletic today, basically laying out everything you'd need to know, kind of a one-stop shop about the, the Super League. But there was a whole section on why PSG aren't involved. And uh, there was some, like, basically just like six or eight paragraphs, and they were kind of alternating between like the actual real reasons that you totally believe for them not wanting to get in it's such that like you know the, the people that own PSG also own BN and they're bought into the Champions League so they don't want to totally fuck over their own investment and they're worried like Enda said about the stagnation of appeal so in 10 years who's to say broadcasters give a fuck but like every second paragraph was obviously bullshit lines fed to, fed to the athletic about uh, <laughs> about PSG and this is a quote want to make sure the football cannot only be for the super rich like that was something they're actually putting out as a concern. PSG not wanting football to only be for the super rich. <laughs> uh, well, like I couldn't believe that was actually carried in the piece. I was like, I mean, come on, are you not seeing what they're doing here? Like, they're here's the real stuff in every second paragraph, and then here's our bullshit about wanting to preserve the purity of football competition. Like it's like there's loads of hi- there's loads of hypocrites, but that was just some br- like I nearly admire the brazenness of that, and um, it was it like cannot only be for the super rich from BSG was just like fantastic fair, fair play to them leave the neck of them like fair play <laughs> yeah I'm surprised he actually posted some of it to be honest but I suppose um, yeah probably had to probably had to and uh, it's certainly good uh, top clip clicks for the athletic um, and good to see a subscriber based model standing up for the for the little guys as well <laughs> so uh, fair play to the athletic a US owned website charging people to read their content um so again, I mean that that's that just sums up where we started, really, which is that's the way the world is heading. You know, it's capital capitalist driven, um, uh, and which is shame because football has always tried to be, you know, uh, as you know, painful as it is to say, a kind of a working yeah. class sport for, and for the people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even even now, when you go to the matches, um, and it's still you know the highlight of my year, really, when I get over to Old Trafford. But uh, you know, it still is working class it's you know these aren't you know wealthy people who you know are going because they can afford it every week or you know they've got nothing else to spend their money on I mean this is their life you know like following these clubs around um you know they've dedicated their whole life to it you know what I mean and when you read the fanzines as well you realize just how much effort people put into actually supporting these clubs so I mean whatever about us sitting here in Ireland saying how frustrating it is. Um, I mean, those locals or legacy supporters, as they're now known, must really feel, you know, pretty disheartened uh, as of what's potentially going to happen. Um, let's not get away from the fact that the competition that they're trying to replace here in the Champions League um, have come out with their own new format today and it's pretty terrible, um, no matter what way you look at it. And I mean, there was 
we're all pretty happy with uh with the original format. I mean, it, it's fair to say it's the best club competition in the world. I mean, once it gets to the last sixteen quarter final stage, um, it tends to be unmissable. But they announced today that it's going to be move up to thirty six teams from thirty two. Um, it's going to run until at least twenty thirty three. Um, it's basically being converted into a an overall league table rather than um the split groups um that were used to. And I mean. There's stuff about it, you know, holding spaces for kind of, I don't know how they describe them, but some of the bigger clubs, essentially what the Super League are doing with their five spaces for some of the uh, the more prestigious clubs um, around Europe. It's definitely, uh, I don't know, what they're trying to achieve hasn't kind of sat well with the Super League clubs and you can see why they're trying to move out, but it looks like they're going to go ahead with it, but it might need some sort of um, restructuring in terms of how the the pot is divvied out to to kind of cool this this Super League um, idea amongst the those twelve to fifteen sides there. Yeah, like what's really annoying me now about the Super League, the more I think about it, is that they they are the reason that this that these changes were instigated. They brought it to a certain point, and now they're fucking off to leave us with. A bad tournament with like fewer like big teams in a worse format. Like they they're not even sticking around to see it through now uh, out of sheer greed. So they got the kind of playing changes that they wanted, uh, or at least to a certain degree. Like their their contention is that there's still um, there's too many games, not enough of kind of definite high quality. Uh, but there's like guaranteed spaces, like you said, for people who don't qualify through the leagues. So I think there's two spots a season for teams who can qualify through past achievements in case you don't make it in through the kind of traditional way. And there's more games, which means more revenue. But they want more of that additional revenue, the, 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 these 12. Um, so they've they've taken, like you said, the best club competition in the world from the last eight. There's nothing like it. It's like it's incredible, the, the quality. Like we were, we were raving about PSG Bayern here last week. We were absolutely mad about it. Um, th- so they've taken that. They're going to dilute it by adding 100 extra matches a season. Uh, and then they're fucking off because they're not getting enough money out of it. Um, like it's, it's a, the, not only are they putting domestic leagues at risk, they've ruined the Champions League format and leaving out of greed for not getting enough out of it. Um, fair play to you for pushing through it today, though. I mean, you know, it would have been pretty easy to say, lads, do you want to just push this meeting? Something's after coming up. Um, it doesn't quite suit me anymore. I'm now double booked. Can we just push it till next week? Like, they're fair play to them for brazen in and out. And I look forward to Bayern. PSG and Dortmund making the semi-finals every year until 2034 or whatever it was you said, Kev. Yeah, well, it's so bad. I was, they probably just thought nobody would notice if if they pushed it out today. <laughs> um, but uh, the funny thing about it is even the language that they use, you know, they said, well, we, we've, we can hold spots in case elite clubs don't qualify, which in itself is just, I mean, what the hell is an elite club? Uh, you know, Villa and Forest should technically fall into that. Or is it Newcastle because they get the most supporters? Is it, you know, whoever? Is it Granada? Because <laughs> you know, they sell out. Like, it's just absolute bollocks. Um, but it, it is funny, the irony that, you know, it was the clubs that pushed this. Um, it almost like, it's a double fuck you to UEFA in a way. And, and again, it feels like why this is such a power play. The fact that they, they lobbied for these changes. The changes are now happening and they're, and they're moving away from it anyway. So again, it it's... It goes back to the kind of double bluff argument for me, you know, because the Champions League has been reformed to keep them 
pretty happy, but clearly they're still not satisfied with the money that's going to be earned from the extra matches or, or the increased pot or whatever it will be. Um, so again, I, I think that's where this is heading still, that we'll have this reform Champions League. It'll be painful to watch, just like the two group phases were in 2000, I think it was, um, when it just felt like the Champions League went on forever. Um, and by the time United got to the quarter or semifinals, I think they'd played like 15 or 16 games that season or something like that. It was crazy. Um, so it'll feel a bit like that again, and then they'll all realise what a bad idea it was, and maybe they'll go back to the original format, which is absolutely fit for purpose and everybody's really happy with, you know. So um, the fact that they're pushing through with these changes would lead me to believe uh, that, you know, if UEFA really thought these teams were leaving, um, they would have just put the, that press release on hold, surely. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of power plays going on at different levels here, um, which again leads me to back to my you know, original point, which is it's a very badly played public game of poker. Um, and I don't think either of them have a pair of aces at the moment, but um, we'll just have to see who falls first. The big question for me now is uh, all those people who advocate for a Champions League style format for the uh, GA Senior Football Championship, uh, are they now the Swiss model ultras or are they all the way in on the European Super League model? That's, that is the question that must be answered. Anyone who wanted a Champions League style model for the football championship has a decision to make and I want cards on the table as soon as possible. Uh, like our Galway United in a league club? I mean, you know, Neymar at uh, Terryland Park would be quite a sight. So, you know, I'll, uh, I'll put that forward to the guys when I get my chance for sure. I think it's fair to say Kildare might be left out of any any notion of a Super League. <laughs> I, like If the Europa Conference League is still a thing, we'd be lucky to be scraping into that. <laughs> In the, the other big news story of the day obviously came out this morning and when I saw it, it was kind of one of those moments where like, oh Jesus, not, not today of all days. Can you not just hold off for another <laughs> week? Um, there, there's too much, there's too much stories or too much content to get through. Um, but Jose Marino sacked as Spurs manager. I mean, you could see it coming a mile away. They've been pretty terrible. Um, I think it's probably gotten to a stage now where you'd imagine that that was his last huge job in, in club football, at least. I don't know if if um, there's a pretty decent Portuguese national team there that he might fancy um, bringing down a peg or two. But mm-hmm. um, what, what was your reaction there when you heard the news? Um, I was still surprised at the timing. thought they just might as well hang on to the summer, mainly because they've got the League Cup final. Um and as, as sad as it sounds, that's a that's a direct entry into Europe uh, for Spurs. And it's also a chance to win a trophy. So the fact that they didn't give him that opportunity suggests that it must have been outrageously toxic behind the scenes to the point where they didn't want him, you know, bragging about winning Spurs' first trophy in, what was it, 11 years or 12 years um, since they won the League Cup in 2009, I think it was. Um, yeah. So, um, or was it 2000? even a couple of years earlier than that, just might've been 2007. Anyways, sorry, I digress. Um, the fact that they wouldn't even let him, you know, be in charge for that match would suggest that they really had no interest in letting him have leave with any success or any positivity from the club. I mean, he had a 51% win rate, which is the lowest of his career since Benfica when he was just a kid managing them for a few months. I think he had a 54% win rate, but it's come down and down at each club, you know, um, and then the patterns of behavior that we're used to seeing with uh, Jose, they just seem to kick in earlier and earlier. I mean, um, you know, strange relationships with Deli Ali, Gareth Bale, talking about agents ruining the dressing room. 
confused tactics, blaming new signings, never saying he has enough of anything really these days. It's just constantly exhausting, even when he's not the manager of your club anymore, just hearing him hearing him talk now and seeing him on the sidelines. And he looked real bag of misery on, on Friday night. I thought it was very similar to <laughs> I thought it was very similar to his body language when we got knocked out by Sevilla. United got knocked out by Sevilla, where you just felt, right, this guy, for whatever reason, just isn't into this or, you know, and the problem for Josie is the greatest strengths have now become his greatest weaknesses, really. His man management has fallen off a cliff. He was always tactically astute to a point, but it was never really his main his main bag. It was always just being able to to get the best out of players to be you know, create a siege mentality, um and to and to not lose football matches. Um and he's lost all of that now and he's just kind of, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, a bit washed up. And I think this was his last chance with the squad that I actually felt would have suited him. If you look at everything a Mourinho side would have traditionally needed to succeed, uh, you know, a world-class number nine, which he's always had before he came to United and tried to fix with Ibrahimovic and Lukaku. Uh, playmakers, which he has now. He had Eriksen when he joined and then Lo Celso or Undumbele, Deli Ali can all play that role. A holding midfielder, which he, he got in Hoiberg, who's probably been one of their best players of the season. And then he actually did have the experienced centre-backs that most of his successful teams have, but he mm. didn't seem to gel with Alderweireld and obviously sold Vertonghen in the summer. And he has the France captain um, in goal. So for me, it had all the kind of elements of a Jose Mourinho squad in terms of age, profile, um, everything he f- you would feel that he would need to succeed. And the fact that uh, I was actually quite concerned at the time when he took over, I thought this might be a perfect squad for him to rejuvenate himself in his career. But early on, those, you know, those same patterns were kicking in to the point where even the matches he wins aren't enjoyable really for the players or the fans or himself. So um, once that happens, it's, you know, you kind of have to get rid, but I'm surprised how quickly it has fallen apart from at Spurs. Um, mm. And the, again, I, I go back to the fact, the fact they don't even let him manage the league cup final really speaks volumes about how they see him internally uh, in the club. I mean, they just wanted him out at all costs and, uh, and didn't want to give him any chance to, lorded over people saying he won more trophies than Pochettino or Redknapp or all these managers who actually did progress Spurs in the last sort of decade or so, you know. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not ideal, but I think Spurs have a good enough squad to bounce back. But it will be interesting to see um, who takes over. I wonder if Harry Kane would have been in the year with certain individuals in the background because if it got to a position where Kane or even Son were, were angling to, to move. It certainly lessens the appeal of, of the Spurs, whether they're in the, the Super League or not, if, if they don't have Kane and, and Son in the ranks. Yeah, I mean, again, it's similar to uh, the patterns of behaviour and the stories you see all coming out of his previous clubs. He thought there was, you know, senior people in the dressing room leaking teams and um, saying stuff behind his back and were too influential in training. Um so perhaps there was an element of that. I mean, the reports all season have been that the players are, are quite unhappy with, you know, how public he is, how negatively public he is. Um, and then obviously once he starts attacking their agents as well, and a lot of these players are very close to their agents, like most modern players are. Um, and I think it was before the last international break, he said, you know, agents are running this dressing room and that needs to change. I mean, that type of stuff. Um, it's, it's a slippery slope. So um, I'd imagine that, uh, you know, 
this was on the cards for, for quite a long time. It was interesting to watch the Amazon documentary and, and see how he deals with players. I mean, probably the most interesting part uh, I felt was uh, the Danny Rose kind of one-to-one where he felt that, you know, the manager was picking players who were out of form constantly and those in training could never kind of catch up or do enough when they were given one game a month to kind of prove themselves. And I felt that happened a lot at United. Um, and, I, and I think the reason for that is he's he's desperately trying to find that kind of fixed eleven that kind of eleven he can trust like he was able to do at Chelsea in his early years like he was able to do at Madrid and certainly at Inter um, which was probably kind of the peak Mourinho masterpiece really a pretty flawless Inter side when you when you look back at you know what they achieved in 2010 and he's constantly been searching for that but the problem with that then is he was very negative towards players on the fringes and then obviously he's throughout his career he's always been very negative towards players who pick up injuries which Spurs like any other club do um and you know you need to be you need to be able to redefine yourself um you know Sir Alex was probably the best at it Clough wasn't able to do it um and when you are constantly coming up against these younger and we call them hipster managers or whatever you want to call them you do need to redefine yourself a little bit if you want to keep up with them and and he's really struggling to do that Neds, before we sign off, um, back quickly to the Super League. And I mean, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process and there's already suggestions that, you know, even the last, the three of the last four in the Champions League could be thrown out um, this week. I don't know if that's um, if that's going to go ahead. I mean, the Danish FA, um, the head of the Danish FA, Jesper Muller, um, told reporters today that he expects... Chelsea, Madrid and City to be kicked out um, but there's reports more recently that um, this might be a little bit premature um, Phil, what are the odds come next August, September that we'll be on the podcast here previewing um, the new Super League season and it'll all have gone through I think from where we are right now, I don't think it'll happen, definitely by next August, if you were to push me I'd say that the outcome is going to be the these 12 teams will get closer to what they want from the current Champions League setup, more more money and go back into their domestic leagues. But in the at least in the short term, I don't think it'll happen next August. I think it'll be in some sort of weird limbo, uh, wrapped up in court challenges. Enda? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I think, you know, they'll probably still in the background push ahead to kind of some sort of project in the next three to five years. But I just think the nature of what they're trying to do is too rushed, not thought out. They have nothing in place to actually make a success of it. Um, so, I, you know, particularly in in a summer where there's, you know, an international tournament where still clubs are still trying to get through COVID, um, trying to arrange somehow for fans to be back in stadiums by August, which again is its own task. Um, I can't see anything happening next season. Uh, and then by then, I'd imagine everything will have calmed down a bit. Um and ultimately, I mean, they have got the changes that they wanted in the Champions League, which is the main thing. I mean, that protects their financial interests going forward, which is really what scares these clubs. No Champions League football, because that really throws off their balance sheet. So they pretty much have that safeguarded. So I think everything will calm down a bit. Uh, maybe in the background, they'll still try and put together some sort of plan within the next few years um, to move away from these uh, European competitions and set up something more global. Um, and who knows, it, it could work if it was 
you know, something that was actually made sense and had a nice logo. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, this this ain't it. Uh, but I do think, listen, if the objective was to scare, uh, you know, domestic bodies, FIFA, UEFA, it certainly has worked. Um, and they've certainly got the response that they wanted. So it'll be interesting to see, um, as I said, um, how they play it out, um, how good a hand they actually have. And, you know, to what level they actually care about um, the position they're putting the players and the manager in as opposed to, you know, what the reaction from the fans will be. We know that stuff doesn't bother them. But if you have managers and players telling them that this thing is impossible at the moment, I think that is probably the route to to fix all this. Yeah, I'd have to echo everything the two of you said. Um, And even on a a grander term, you'd wonder politically... um, in the wider kind of construct of, of the EU even, um, that they might step in and um, take a closer look at, at how this is all set up. And I think ultimately if if it's still just 12 teams plus an unknown three um, and five random um, additions, I mean, the, the backlash that we've seen so far from um, some very high-profile clubs, I think will put a, a quick kibosh to, to any kind of progression um, over the next couple of months, especially this season. But I do think, um, like you said, and there's been a, a little bit of a wake-up call to the FAs and UEFA and FIFA um, and maybe a chance for a little bit of kind of self-reflection in, in, in how uh, clubs um, and individuals have been given so much power um, over the past decade or two and how football has basically kind of began to eat itself alive. It, it, we haven't, we have seen it coming um, and so little action has been done and, and here we are Um on the brink of uh, of civil war in football. So, lads, Enda and Phil, thanks very much for coming on. Cheers, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, lads. Respect. Respect. Respect, man. Respect. 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 So we leave it there, so. Okey-doke. Good night and God bless.